This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey entrepreneurs, my name is Felix and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, Nev Lapwood explains how he uses YouTube and Facebook video promotions to build his million dollar business. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that built a $2 million business by working with influencers he met through in-person Instagram meetups. In this episode, you'll learn how to network with photographers to get great photos of your products for free, what are Insta Meets and how you can find an influencer through an Insta Meet, and how to collaborate with other brands to raise your own brand's credibility. Today, I'm joined by Chase Fisher from BlendersEyewear.com. Blenders Eyewear is your first stop for fresh, vibrant, and comfortable sunglasses and was started in 2012 and based out of San Diego, California. Welcome, Chase. Thanks so much for having me, Felix. Yeah, so tell us a bit more about your store and, you know, like your, the name says it, eyewear, but what are some of the more popular products that you sell uh, from your collection? Yeah, so we sell, um, you know, sunglasses ranging from anywhere from 20 to $45. And we started here in San Diego about four and a half years ago. Um, and uh, I'm actually from Santa Barbara. I'm a big surfer. So um, that was kind of like embedded into my lifestyle very early. I moved down to San Diego when I was about 18 and uh, attended San Diego State. Went to college with uh, with a degree in communication and media studies, and um, you know I stayed ever since. And when I moved out um, of college, this is when the whole journey kind of happened. So uh, so yeah, it's been it's been an awesome journey so far. Yeah. So tell us about how this all got started. What was your what was the the I guess original genesis of the idea to start a, a brand, start a store like this? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's actually funny. I was actually at a nightclub in San Diego seeing my favorite DJ, Gareth Emery. And it was at Flux, um, and I wanted something to kind of add to my outfit. So I went to Target, and the first thing I saw was a pair of neon green sunglasses for five bucks. I was literally in and out of Target within five minutes. Um, long story short, I ended up wearing them out to the club, and that was at the time where I was actually I got a contract with Monster Energy to do a marketing tour. So since the shades were green, I put on these Monster Energy stickers and wore them out because I was all stoked. I was like, "Yeah, I'm working for Monster. Here we go." Um, and then. Everybody in the club was coming up to me. They're like, oh my God, those are so cool. Like, where'd you get those? Let me try them on. Um, all this and all that. And it was kind of like, whoa, there was a lot of attention around my sunglasses that I bought for five bucks. So anyways, later that night, I started thinking about it and then started just kind of really looking into the sunglass market and really noticing people here in San Diego. They're not wearing the Ray-Bans. They're not wearing the, you know, like the Gucci's and the Prada's anymore. They're too expensive. So you're either wearing that who can actually afford it or you're wearing $5 beach knockoffs that you can buy anywhere on the boardwalk. There wasn't really a, you know, a competitor or a brand that was in between that offered a cool, you know, style sunglass at a price point that was affordable and quality and comfortable. So, um, we decided to kind of, you know, go out and create our own. Yeah. So you saw that there's this uh, gap, this un- underserved, uh, I guess, area, underserved price point, right? Great glasses, not super expensive, not the cheap, cheap uh, glasses you're talking about that, you know, you wear, you might lose, or you don't care about somewhere in the middle. How were you able to, were you able to, I guess, validate this? Like, how did you know that there was, you know, it makes sense when you talk about it, it makes sense, you know, looking back, uh, looking back at it because, you know, you built a business that's been successful, but at the time, how did you know for sure that it would be a profitable, not profitable, but a, a play, an area where you could play and actually grow a business in? For sure. So, I mean, here in San Diego, it's it's literally like sunny every day. And especially in the summertime, it's jam-packed with, you know, pool parties, music festivals, concerts, super rich and beach and surf culture. So, um, you know, during that time, all my friends were promoters. So they're promoting all these events. They're, they're actively going to all these events. So we decided to make some t-shirts and, and some, and some hats, literally anything but sunglasses and just put the name uh, lenders on it. And we started wearing it out and promoting the whole idea, the whole ethos behind it. And on top of that, we, we made a Facebook page before even having a product. So we, we made a Facebook page, got all of our friends to like it, fa- you know, family, friends, you name it. And we started building a lot of buzz without even having an actual physical pair of sunglasses. My partner, Blake would put out different 
designs and graphics of different mock-ups of shades of different styles. And before we knew it, we had 2,000 Facebook fans and everybody was commenting on this stuff that we're putting out. And they're like, oh my God, I love those. Like, where can I buy them? How much are they? So we really validated it before even diving in completely um, just by all the feedback we got through social media. So it was a really cool way to kind of, you know, validate the product or just validate the whole idea. And before we knew it, we're like, okay, we had a hundred people commenting, you know, like, where can I get these? And we're like, okay, this is it. We're doing this. Um, so that was kind of like a really, um, you know, spark plug for us to kind of get, to get things going and to validate our whole idea in niche at the same time. Mm-hmm. Did you already have the products made at that point? Like, what were you guys putting out on the, on, on Facebook? We had absolutely no products made. You know, these were just physical mock-ups that we'd make in Photoshop. And we just put together different color combos that we thought were cool. And we put them out there. Um, and before we knew it, we had people, you know, commenting and asking where they can buy them. So that was really kind of the early phase for us to kind of get things going. I've heard, yeah, I've heard this same strategy, not necessarily for kicking off a, a, a new brand or validating a new brand, but whenever a, an existing brand wants to release a new product, they'll release a different style, they'll first test the waters by posting it on social media and see what the response is. And maybe even uh, obfuscate the reason why they're doing it and, and not come out because they don't want anyone to be, I guess, biased and, and give feedback just because they know that this brand is coming out with it, but just to test test the waters as uh, without without putting too much uh, bias in, in the test itself. Do you do this today with new products that you release too? Like test it on social media first by posting it or or what's the, I guess, the, the market research these days? Yeah, for sure. So now that we've kind of have customers that we've worked with for the past four and a half years, like we definitely have tailored towards the stuff we make to the stuff that we think people are going to like. And most that, like most importantly are actually going to buy, you know, cause early on we were kind of making all these wild, you know, wild shades and we were just making stuff that we thought was cool, you know, but I'll definitely say you can't hit a home run every time. Um, so we've gone through our fair share of, you know, making stuff that is sat on the shelf that didn't move and, um, wasn't a hit, but we've also made our fair share of stuff that has just knocked it out of the park. Um, and been really successful. So we definitely really utilize our current customer base. Um, even all the employees in our office have a say in what in what we do and what we come out with and, and stuff like that. So um, we really like to kind of keep that open-ended, you know, and we're not biased. We're not judgmental. Um, we're very open and uh, and receptive on new ideas or new colors and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's one of the uh, biggest uh, or one of the potential downfalls for for entrepreneurs is that they get so tied to an idea, tied to a style, tied to a design that they are put up blinders to the feedback, right? Because they put so much effort and time into it, they don't want to the negative feedback or the constructive criticism they don't necessarily take and kind of move forward with it anyway. But like you're saying, sometimes you have to put that behind you, put that to the side and actually listen to what people are saying. Um, so how do you, how do you know today when to move on from a product that is, you know, a quote unquote failure versus uh, pushing a product that you think is actually successful? Like, what do you look for? I mean, for us, it's kind of like, we, we, we like to get, you know, like we know what like our, like the tortoise black and then the tortoise browns are going to be just um, just like your everyday, just your go-to, you know, you can't go wrong with those. So we know that no matter what we do, everything we, we come out with must have either black or brown, just because those are like our best sellers, no matter what. Um, so we kind of start there and then we kind of work backwards. Um, and then we'll come up with different color combos, you know, cause like for us, it's, it's all about being super different, you know, cause it's very easy to kind of blend in nowadays. But for us, we like to kind of get wild. We like to get flashy. We like to be fun. Um, and that's what our lifestyle is in San Diego. You know, it's very, it's very vibrant. It's very fast paced. It's very enriched in all these cool different lifestyles that we all live. So for us, like it's important that our products sort of exemplify that or replicate that or sort of kind of show off what that lifestyle really is, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I mean, product, product dev is some of the most fun, fun part of the whole entire process, you know, is looking at products from start to finish. Um, and kind of going through all those different steps and picking out our favorite ones and um, feeding them to our customers through surveys and um, friends and stuff like that and really kind of having an open mind. Mm, okay, so you said originally the the way you validated was to start, was it a, a fan page at the time? Yeah, so we started a fan page, you know, when before we even actually had a physical pair of shades. And, um, you know, the process is still very much the same. You know, we put we put out different mocks and different designs out there. Um, and then we kind of wait for the feedback to come to us, you know, um, and that's sort of how we validated it early on. And obviously today there's a little bit, it's a little bit more complex, but we still kind of follow those same traits. Mm-hmm. So this, um, this, fa- the fan page that you created, you said that it grew to, to 2000 to multiple thousand people. What was the timeline for this? Like how long did it take to get to that point? 
Well, literally, it was literally like our full-time job. You know, we would wake up and we would just, anything we can do to get people to that page was, was what we did like day in and day out, you know? So we had a massive following, um, before we even, you know, had any shades, but it got to a point where it was become, people wanted the glasses so much and they wanted to buy them. And we were taking so long on everything else. Like we completely neglected the fact that, okay, people want to buy these. Now's the time to start. Let's get going. You know what I mean? So there's a big gap in between, between that of actually launching the Facebook page and until we actually had a physical product. But, um, but yeah, the feedback was excellent and I'm sure we wouldn't be where we're at, we're at today if we didn't actually like start that way, you know? Mm -hmm. Are we talking about like months, weeks, like a year before? We were, we were about a year out, you know, we kept telling people, oh, they're going to be available in two months. And then two months turned into three months, three months was five months. And next thing you know, we're like almost a year out and we're like, okay, like we either got to do this now or never, you know what I mean? So that's when we got down to business and started diving into manufacturing and, you know, just one door open to the next. And, uh, it was just kind of a free for all at that point, you know? Oh, so this, this, I guess, delay between, uh, for about a year was almost like you guys just didn't take, didn't, didn't execute on it just yet. It wasn't so much that there was a hold up. Exactly. We were so in, we were so like entrenched in the fact of like, okay, let's get more Facebook fans. People are liking this. We were just feeding off the energy of our fans that we kind of completely forgot that we actually have to go out and make this product and we don't even know how to do that, you know? So, um, that was step one. And then step two was like this, you know, Google search and phone calls and just asking around and networking and, and just getting creative and, and resourceful with all of it um, and ways to kind of take those next steps and actually creating a product. Yeah, this is a stage that a lot of new entrepreneurs get stuck at, right? Where they are, you know, they have success. They're really focused on one particular, you know, task, whether it be marketing, growing a business, or just planning it all out. And it, they never get past that that stage and get stuck there, and then eventually, you know, die there as well. The 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 idea dies there. It doesn't get into execution phase. Do you remember the, this switch? Because it sounded like you guys were just like, you know what, let's kick ourselves in the butt and let's get started. But do you remember how you actually like the first day where you guys? decide let's start executing on this exactly. what, did you, what did you do on that on that day or what, what did you do during that first you know month or so where you started to execute well it's funny because since i actually graduated from san diego state and since we actually had this whole idea planted um you know like the entrepreneurship program at my school just started blowing up and it became a really big um tool for all you know local you know like students or like alumni that want to start a business so I got in contact with the entrepreneur guy over at, at my school and kind of told him the whole idea. And this was in like December. We're in like December at this point. And I told him the idea and he goes, what are you doing? Just get a pair of sunglasses and show up to entrepreneur day on March 15th and put your, put your idea out there. It's brilliant. Get started now. He goes, stop trying to perfect the sunglass. Your price point is saying that you're affordable, that, that you're going to be like a, a more inexpensive option stop wheedling over all these other things and just get going. So that was the day where we we're like, okay, you know what, let's, let's stop all this fluff. Let's really dive in and let's just show up to that entrepreneur fair, um, on March, you know, 15th and, and just get the whole, get the whole thing out there. And that was the whole kind of, that, that's really what kicked us in the butt and got us going. Um, so that meeting was crucial. Yeah, this kind of deadline too, I think, um, was something to work towards, I think helps a lot too. A, a specific day where you have to launch, you have to go live, you have to put something out there, I think is a way to start putting things into motion because you kind of work backwards from there. You know, if you say, okay, I'm going to launch something and in two months out, then you can figure out, okay, what do I have to do in week one, week two, and so on. I think that that kind of deadline helps a lot of people. Um, so this this uh, group, that, sorry, this Facebook fan page that you guys grew, obviously was very successful because it helped launch everything. What was working at the time? Like how, what were you guys spending your entire days doing to grow this, this Facebook fan page? Well, I mean, you know, back then it was useful because everything we posted on Facebook actually got seen by all our fans, mm -hmm. you know, and, and since the algorithm changes have, you know, kind of occurred and Facebook is literally a new business and ch it's changing every day. Um, it's become very difficult to kind of get the same results that we used to get, you know, just through like all the organic and, and, uh, you know, all the interaction that we got on our own. Um, we wouldn't be able to probably do the same thing that we did today if we didn't have that, you know? So for us, it was, it was a crucial part in starting the business and validating it. And most importantly, getting, you know, getting it going. So when Facebook kind of changed its ways, we moved to Instagram and Instagram kind of became that next sort of platform for us. 
And would you say, if you were to start over today, would you say that Instagram is the best platform to go to, to for especially for in your industry, to build a following and then see if your product, uh, I guess, survives the, 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 the public? Yes, absolutely. I mean, Instagram is for sure the number one platform that most people hear about us most. It's, this, it's the first touch point that most of our customers, you know, see or hear about us and stuff like that. So um, if we were to do it over again, we would definitely start Instagram first um, and do, you know, do Facebook advertising as well. But Instagram is, is such an important tool for us because it's a, it's a visual learning platform, you know, and it's, our product is very cool and it's very, it's very photogenic and we have a lot of cool different things that we do with the brand. So um, a lot of that really transpires well um, visually. So that's why Instagram is great for it. I mean, any brand is, is great for Instagram. You know, if you sell a product, it's, it's, it's definitely the way to go. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I guess with Facebook and on Instagram, were you, what was the, the content strategy? Were you, I mean, you can't, you weren't just posting these uh, mock-ups, right? You were, were you posting other things too? Yeah, absolutely. So when we first, uh, so when we actually started getting sunglasses in and we started getting going, um, that's when Instagram was really fun, you know, cause I would use it as like a networking tool and I would meet photographers on the side and I would send them glasses and they would take the most epic photos we've ever seen. And we'd be able to post about, you know, we'd be able to share them. So um, that was a really fun part of the business for me, especially because I, I love networking and I love meeting new people and putting myself out there and, and stuff like that. So it was sort of like the the, the holy grail of of content management and and and, and content creation. So um, you know, there's a lot of talent here in San Diego with photography and 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 stuff like that. So we had a lot of natural good content to start posting, you know, right off the bat. Okay, so you were networking with photographers that you're finding on Instagram, meeting up with them in person, getting them the glasses, and then they're just taking photos for you for your Instagram feed? Exactly, you know, because a lot of these photographers were going out shooting portfolios already, and they were going out, you know, shooting surfing or going to the beach um, just to try to build their portfolio. So this was a cool little carry-on item that they can just take with them. And, uh, you know, we didn't really have to pay for too much content when we first started, which was really cool. We got a lot of really good content. Um, but in exchange, we're able to, you know, help build their portfolio, talk about their photography, post about them on Instagram and really develop relationships, um, you know, from that point on that, you know, we still use today. So, um, we've helped build a lot of photographers, Instagrams, we've helped, you know, you know, have them build their portfolios with us. So it's, it's been a very mutual, you know, relationship so far. And, uh, it's definitely still something that we do today. I like this approach because I've heard of, you know, obviously influencer marketing where you reach out to influencers that might not be photographers at all and then just try to get them to take a look at your product and hopefully they will, uh, you know, post a picture of themselves using the product, wearing the product. Uh, But you went out directly at people that knew how to take photos, knew how to take great photos and met up with them. I think that's a great idea. I've never heard anyone taking this approach before. So talk, talk to us, talk us through this. Were you... How are you finding these photographers and how are you reaching out to them? For sure. So, yeah, so I would find them just, I would find them through, you know, just using the platform of Instagram itself. And uh, a lot of these photographers will actually host like these Insta meets. So they will actually host Instagram meets in different locations around San Diego where the top Instagrammers go and they shoot photos and they all, you know, have like a little, you know, like day out and they go and and meet each other and they share photos and, and, uh, you know, it's really cool. So um, I, I got into that, like, in its very early stages. And I would show up in, you know, I would show up in Solana beach, I would show up in ocean beach and I would bounce around San Diego and just meet new photographers and bring a box of sunglasses and just say, Hey guys, I'm Chase. I got a sunglass company. Um, you know, I follow all you guys already. Your photos are amazing. I would love to, you know, you know, give you guys all some pairs to to photograph. And if you guys would, would be so kind, send, send them to my email and I would love to, you know, share them and post about them on Instagram too. So, um, it really helped put a face to the name. And I think people really liked it because it was real and it was authentic and it wasn't like it was an advertising or we were trying to like use them for any sort of thing that they weren't wanting. Um, so it was a cool way to kind of meet new people and, and network and, um, you know, all these people, all these photographers would have, you know, massive reach at their fingertips. You know, we're talking photographers that would have hundreds of thousands of followers that are all in one place at one time. And you're like, wow, this whole group has like 2.5 million people at their fingertips. There's a lot of power and there's a lot of value in that. So that helped us really early on um, to get good content and just to get the brand out there as well. Do you, so do you reach out to them ahead of time or do you just show up and the first time you meet them, you, what do you pitch them, your product? Like how do you approach them? Well, yeah. So when, when I would hear about the meet, they'd be like, hey, we're having an instant meet at like Ocean Beach on Sunday at, at 2 p.m. 
And I would email or I would contact the person that was hosting and be like, hey, I have a sunglass company. I want to sponsor the meet. I want to provide everybody there a pair of shades. Is that cool? And they're like, oh, absolutely. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And um, so I would show up with like 30 pairs of shades and I would give everybody a pair of shades. And um, that would sort of be like the challenge where people would they would take the shades and it would be whoever got the best photo and posted it and got the most likes. Um, we, we would give away like a $200, you know car to the side or $200 in sunglasses or something like that. So it was a cool way to kind of like incentivize all the photographers to kind of get creative and stuff. And in exchange, we got like unbelievable photos and super cool stuff. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Wow. I really like the strategies. And how often were you doing this and, and are you still doing, are you taking this approach today? Yeah. And we're, we're still doing it today. I mean, we were doing this for a, a good two years, you know, and, um, it was, it was cool cause I got to meet a lot of new people and, uh, it just expanded us um, it, it not only like expanded our network, but it just expanded like our horizon of just, you know, um, that there's a lot of cool people that you can meet through Instagram and mm-hmm. Instagram's not a, it's not a creepy platform by any means, you know, it's, it's completely normal. Um, and, uh, it was, it was, yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. Yeah. One, one strategy that I've heard uh, recently is, uh, almost an offshoot of the influencer marketing uh, method or marketing style, which is more focused on micro influencers because, uh, um, brands out there are looking for, uh, I guess, uh, Instagram, Instagram influencers or, or Facebook or YouTube influencers that have very targeted, very specific audiences. So now when you were finding these photographers and going to these instant meets, were you, did you care so much about what their audience was like, or were you willing to meet any and all photographers Like how, uh, I guess, uh, specific or how much of a criteria did you have before uh, reaching out to a photographer and going to these, uh, instant meets? For sure. So when we first started, it wasn't so much of like, oh, like I don't like his style or I like his style. It was kind of like it was a numbers game at that point. You know, mm-hmm. we were small and we needed the reach and we didn't care about who saw it. It was like if this if this guy has 400,000 followers and that's 400,000 new people that are going to hear about us, you know. Um, so we weren't as selective back then, um, especially with photographers, because a lot of photographers have really cool creative style, you know. But in terms of like the influencer marketing for people that actually wear the product and that take you know, pictures of it, of themselves and post about it. That's something that we're a little bit more selective on. But in terms of photography, we like to let the photographer kind of just, just work its magic and um, really like add its special sauce to, you know, all the photos that they're taking. So um, we don't really provide too much guideline and stuff like that. We just say, hey, check out our feed. This is what our style sort of is. Like, you know, add your special sauce to it. You know what I mean? Um, just because, you know, as a photographer, you really like that creativeness. Um, and Instagram really gives you that, that, you know, like that avenue to kind of show that. Yeah, so so clearly the network that you built has been very powerful and very helpful for your business. One aspect, though, of growing a network and network that gets really large is that can also become overwhelming, right? To manage and just to stay in touch with all these all these people that you're working with, all these people that you worked with. What's your method? Like, how do you, if you're growing a network so quickly, so um, so large, how do you make sure that you're able to stay in touch with everybody and I guess um, stay relevant in their lives? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, that was, that's also another thing, you know, is, uh, it's hard to kind of be able to talk to everybody at once, you know? So, um, we got a couple interns and we got, we got some help, um, to kind of keep everything all together. And, uh, we just, we just really like adopted a really solid, um, footprint here in San Diego. You know, people would, we'd have photographers coming into our office all day. I mean, all day picking up sunglasses and stuff. So it was, it was really cool because they would just pop in and say, Hey, I'm going to shoot. You guys mind if I grab a couple pairs? And, uh, you know, sometimes we get five, sometimes we get 10 people walking in, um, and you know, we'll get photos from all different angles at different times. Um, so the content that we were getting at that time really made it worth it just because we had so much cool stuff to share and it made us want to grow our followers even more so we can, so more people can see it. Um, but in terms of like influencer marketing and and trying to keep in touch with certain people, um, it wasn't so much of, of an issue for us. Um, obviously we wanted to reach as many people as possible, but um, we were just getting such good content at that time that, um, we were just more focused on, you know, how do we get more existing customers to our page and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a funny image thinking about just photographers walking into your office and picking up glasses and just walking and picking up sunglasses from you guys. So do you, do you look at the numbers or the ROI for something like this? Because it sounds like it could get expensive very quickly if you don't control some of it. Did you have any issues with that? Absolutely. So, I mean, when we first started, it wasn't, you know, we were kind of like, budget out, we would have like a couple boxes and we would burn through, you know, and a lot of these, a lot of the products that we're using were samples and stuff. So they were like either returns or there were stuff that like we couldn't really sell, but mm-hmm. they were, they were, you know, photographable. So like we would, 
we would really kind of pick and choose. Um, and obviously we knew that, you know, product was cash at that point and cash was crucial to kind of hang on to and, and, and manage. Um, but at the same time, it's like the photos we were getting, we knew were so strong that we can eventually use for years to come. And photographers themselves aren't very um, promotional people. Like they're not going to just shout you out on Instagram and say, hey, follow at Blender's Eyewear. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're more cautious on what they, on the words they use and, and stuff they post as opposed to like influencers where they just want a check for 400 bucks and you know, a caption that's, you know, five characters and, and you know what I mean? So, um, it wasn't as, as bad for us. So do you uh, let the photographers or these influencers choose the, the products that they want themselves? Because I think that there is also this uh, debate that goes on internally when someone's thinking about work with influencers, which is to push specific products that they're, that they're launching, that they're trying to release. Um, but then on the other end, you want to make sure that it's as organic of a, uh, shout out or, as organic as a promotion as possible so that the influencer actually picks a product that they want themselves. How do you guys kind of straddle between these two, this, this range? Yeah. So we, we definitely, I mean, back then it was kind of like any sunglasses we had in stock, we were going to have for a while just cause we were kind of slow moving. Um, so we weren't particular on what we sent out and what, and like what, what the photographer wanted and what they didn't want. But now it's like, you know, we want to make sure we're getting the photographer a stuff that they're going to wear and be stuff that we know that we are either going to be launching soon or are going to be talking about. So, um, there's mo- there's more of a, like a strategic approach to it now, um, as opposed to back then. But, um, but yeah, moving forward, I mean, it's still a, it's still a great, a great tool that we still use. And, and, you know, our, our business was built on relationships and, and networking through these different platforms. So, um, you know, obviously they change with time and they're, they change quickly. Um, and with how, you know, everything's moving now. It's like everything has a dollar sign to it, you know, and it's, it's harder to get your brand out there. There's more brands to compete against and there's more content to compete against. So, um, it's a constant challenge for sure, but, um, we still have very strong content and and it's only getting better. Mm. Okay. So once you worked with a, a, a photographer the first time, maybe you met them just through the instant meet and they've taken photos for you. Uh, the, the, once, once you've built that relationship that connect, made that relationship in the first place, uh, what happens next? Like, are you selective with which ones you follow up follow up with afterwards? Like, how do you continue to work with with these uh, photographers and, and to continue to build the relationship? Well, then you know, for us, it's like then then we're going out seeking new photographers um, of guys that are getting really good, and we're keeping a very close eye on some of those guys. You know, so not only do we wait for the photographers to reach out to us, but we're going actively after new photographers that we all like and and, and we think are really cool and have a cool style. So. Um, you know, and and that's important because as a brand, you know, your products evolve, the company evolves, you get bigger. Um, like you want to kind of adapt that, like adapt that image and adapt that look. So we don't want to be, you know, posting the exact same photos that we were posting four years ago. You know, we need to kind of adapt with that change and kind of, you know, innovate and progress and continue to kind of show really strong, really strong and creative content. Um, so, you know, we're actively looking for new photographers and new influencers to partner with, um, and stuff like that. I see. So you're looking for new photographers, new influencers, new new styles. You usually don't return back to the photographers that you've worked with um, the first time. Yeah, I mean, we still have a handful of guys that we do work with, you know. But um, some of the photographers that we worked with back in the day, um, you know, they are limited to where they can go, and 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 they shoot a lot of the same places, and they shoot a lot of the same things, and there's only so many times where you can look at a pair of shades on a rock, you know what I mean? At the same angle. So for us, it was, we kind of realized like, okay, although the content is strong, we need to kind of expand that because our brands, our brands getting bigger, our products are getting better. Our reach is getting larger. Um, we need to be kind of expanding, you know, our content reach. Um, so from, from that point on, it's like, you know, we're, we're actively looking for new, for new people to kind of partner with and, and content to kind of, you know, get just because it is getting better every day. And it's important that we kind of, uh, you know, are front running that. Yeah, that makes sense too. As you, once you work with an influencer once, the next kind of, I guess, impression that next uh, shout out, next promotion that they might do for you, you know, organically or paid, 
there is a the diminishing point of diminishing returns where uh, each each successive um, I guess promotion will become less and less profitable because it's the same audience. It might have grown, but it's still in large part the same audience. Um, so now I want to talk about the the pricing of your your products because, like you're saying, this twenty twenty dollars to forty five dollar price range didn't see in, anywhere else in the marketplace. Everyone else fell way below that or way above that. But were you ever worried that another company or brand might see your success and see that there is a market that that is underserved and decides to move into it, either from going from five dollars and building a more you know premium version of their glasses, or someone that is a, a Gucci or maybe not Gucci, but a much more expensive uh, brand deciding to move down to your price point? That was one of the biggest things that kept us going every single day. Is we knew that we had something solid here, and we knew that it was going to get crowded quickly. And uh, the end goal was that you know, or not the end goal, but just that we knew as we got into it furthermore that there's only going to be a, a handful of companies that can actually withstand the test of time and kind of hit this market, you know? So we knew we had to move quickly. Um, and when we first started, there was only about a few, you know, there's a few companies doing it. I mean, there was, there was a few, there wasn't a handful and it seems like every day, you know, we're finding new sunglass companies, new competitors that are all trying to do the exact same thing. So it's funny because as an e-commerce store, it's like, you know, you can, you can be California, but be in Minnesota, you know, it's like, so it, it makes it a challenge for us um, just because, you know, we have a lot of things that work to our advantage, but e-commerce is moving so quickly and there's so much demand for, for our products right now that we have competitors literally piling in every single day. Um, so, you know, they're not all great and there's some really good ones, but it's also like it keeps us on our toes constantly. You know, it's one of those things where you just can't, you can't, you can't slow down. You got to be, got to be quick on everything. Yeah. So you noticed that there was this market, but you knew that the window to get in was going to, was shrinking. So you had to move quickly and execute quickly. But now that you're in it and then you see all these competitors popping up, moving into the space, what do you guys do? Maybe not on a daily basis, but on a, on a frequent basis to entrench yourself into the market as one of the true competitors, one of the long lasting competitors at this price point, at this range, you know, serving these type of customers. Yeah. So I think for us, like we pride ourselves on passion. We pride ourselves on, on, you know, on customer, um, you know, on, on customer retention and, and, um, you know, customer support. We're very close with our customers. They're like family to us. And we try to hold on to that as long as we can, you know, as like, as a brand that's, that's growing quickly, you sort of lose that touch, you know, and you lose that sort of special sauce and that, and that interaction and that engagement. And we try to hold on to that for as long as we can. Um, just because that's what people, people love that when they get to interact with the brand when they get to talk to us or meet us or call us, or when they get their order in the mail, like, they're instantly so stoked and so happy. And that comes from just, you know, living a, an authentic lifestyle that we, um, you know, that we actively promote, that we actively live, you know, and like, and it's, and it's very real. So I think trying to tell that story and, you know, to continue to make good products and to stay true to our messaging and, and, and to our customers and what they want is, is crucial for our success going forward, you know? Mm -hmm. What have you found to, to work well when you want to stay in touch with your customers, when you want to provide that great customer service? Like, What are some key things that you guys try to make sure you hit on at every interaction or at least hit on at some point with a customer to make sure that they do stay uh, close in touch with you guys? Yeah, so I mean, all those little things, you know, when customers leave order notes on their, on, you know, um, on their order, say, hey, like, I would love like a few extra stickers. We'll toss in 10, you know? And when customers say, hey, um, I had a scratch my lens, like, you know, is there anything you guys can do? Sure. We're going to give you a free pair, you know? So we just go above and beyond in any sort of way we can. And sometimes, you know, we'll send out the wrong order, you know, by accident, you know, we'll get 300 orders and we'll send out a few orders that are actually wrong where a customer ordered a pair that they, and they received a pair that they didn't order. So they'll call us, but Hey, I received the wrong pair. They're kind of upset. And we'll be like, no, no problem. Keep that pair, pass it on to a friend. Um, we're going to go ahead and send you out another pair. And they're like, oh my God, that's so cool. So it's really that interaction that customers, you know, that we have with our customers in different ways that we hold on to and that we cherish and that we pride ourselves on. Um, so any sort of way we can, you know, add that extra, extra value to them to show, you know, to be personable is, is really important for us. 
Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned that one of the the ways that you are able to to compete so much in the marketplace is to uh, let that passion bleed through, right? Live that lifestyle. Now, when you are a, an ideal customer, when you are in that lifestyle, I think one of the difficult things is that you might be so close to it that you might not recognize like key traits, I guess, that are a representative of that market that you're in. So, how do you translate your lifestyle, the way that you guys, uh, uh, you know, live your life? the things that you believe in into your messaging and in, into your marketing is there an approach that has worked well for you to make that kind of transition from this is the way we live into this is how we can represent our brand yeah you know and i think i think that trickles into everybody that kind of works for us you know we all share similar values we all like the same things um you know we we all we all love surfing we all love going to the beach we love going to to music festivals and stuff like that and that's really where we get to see all the new trends and all the new trades and the different styles that are actually you know hitting the market is going to these big events and seeing all these different, you know, these big brand building events where, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are coming together. And that's really a time for us to kind of, you know, look at um, what everybody's doing and, 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 and stuff like that. So, um, and just being in San Diego, you know, it's, it's America's finest city and people travel here all the time and they vacation here. And, um, you know, this, this city is constantly evolving. So we're, we're in a really good place selling a good product that's a naturally fitting for, for, you know, our demographic and our location. Um, so it's, it's been, it's been good. Yeah. I guess you can't really complain about that kind of market research. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, so you, you mentioned that, I think in the pre-interview notes about how, or questions, questionnaire is about how you do a lot of brand collaborations for brand awareness and credibility. Can you say more about this? Like what is an example of a brand collaboration? Right. So we do, um, you know, that started early on in San Diego with just kind of teaming up with the different, um, you know, all the clubs and all the day parties and all the different, um, music concerts, you know, so, um, that was sort of embedded in us very early and now it's on a, a much larger scale where, we're partnering with music festivals like, you know, like the Groove Cruise, which is a big, you know, music festival on a cruise ship. And it goes to Miami and it goes to, to Mexico and Lollapalooza, which is, you know, a, a huge music festival in Chicago. And what we do is um, there's a couple different ways that we actually work through those. Um, one is we actually team up and create custom glasses for their entire event. So we'll, we'll say, hey, we want to team up. We want to make you guys custom sunglasses. You know, you guys have 100,000 people staring at these stages with no sunglasses, like we want to come in and, you know, really craft a cool product that, you know, works for you, works for us. And then we'll do like a revenue share on something like that, or we'll go a different route and actually sell the glasses to the, to the, you know, to the company or to the venue or, or event, what have you at like a wholesale cost or a really good deal. And they'll kind of buy those from us. Um, and then we'll, we'll manufacture for them and then we get a market with them and they basically sell all the product on their website. They sell them at the event. And, um, and stuff like that. So that's been a huge, in terms of brand awareness and brand presence, like those, those two have been by far the biggest, um, because we have people and customers that are emailing us, Oh my God, I saw you at Lollapalooza or, you know, you guys are working with the Groove Cruise or you guys are with Gareth Emery. And, you know, it, it gives the customers validation and it gives the brand validation that, you know, they're buying into something that's, that's cool, that's unique. Um, and that's real. And, and, and that's, you know, that's kind of on the rise in an important trending trending places. Mm-hmm. So do you, all these brands that you want to collaborate with, with, do they all say yes right off the bat or how do you convince them to, or I guess how do you get, begin to pitch them on collaborating with you, especially early on when you weren't as big as you are today? Totally. So that's been, a, I mean, that's definitely a tough sell, you know, especially on some of the bigger fish. But um, when you start working with people, um, you can start really kind of like, you know, working through some of the kinks and kind of bouncing, bouncing more ideas off them. Um, but to get the time of day from the big music festivals is, is slim to none. So you, you got to know the right people. You got to have the right approach. Um, and you got to have a track record, you know, you got to be able to show them what you've done. Um, so for us, we had to work, we had to start small. We had to start small here in San Diego with some of, you know, the hard rock hotel and work our way sort of up the main, you know, up that ladder. Um, but I think for us, we use the shades as another form of currency, you know, and we're basically like, Hey, it's no risk for you. We love your venue. We support it. We go to it every year. We want to create an awesome style sunglass and product that you guys can put your name behind and we can co-brand together and you can sell to your, you know, to your customers that, you know, or to everybody attending the event. So, um, when we show it in that light, it's, it's a natural fit for them. It's a natural fit for us, um, and stuff like that. So. How do you know which, uh, especially today when you can work with so many different brands, can collaborate with so many different brands, how do you filter it down and nail down the right brands to collaborate with? 
So, I mean, we, we like to do stuff that we, um, you know, are all invested in personally, you know, we, we love the Coachella's, we love the Lollapalooza's, we love, you know, all the, all the mainstream sort of, you know, um, you know, festivals and stuff like that. And a lot of that stuff starts here in San Diego. So, um, we're always like looking for new different ways to kind of work with new people and, and, and different ideas for, for glasses to kind of come out with. Um, and then if we just start reaching out, you know, I, I'm, I've developed quite a, you know, like a extensive background of different connections I've met throughout the time. And, um, it's, you know, it's, that's a huge part of it as well. It's just meeting new people and, and start working with people and, uh, you know, really getting out of the office a little bit more and get, get away from being behind a screen and, um, more real life stuff, you know, mm-hmm. really helps because we are selling sunglasses and all of these people are going to these events and they all need sunglasses and they sure is, they, they, they sure don't want to lose their $200 Ray-Bans when they go. So, um, if we can show that in the right messaging, it, it works. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned that these brand collaborations uh, raise credibility. Can you say more about that? Like, how does that work? So for for the credibility, it's it's we get a co brand together. So we're making a st- we're making sunglasses with like you know their logo, our logo on it, and we get to basically partner up with them and say, hey, you can see our sunglasses at Lollapalooza, or you know you can check us out here and. For us, that's it's it's like selling to Nordstrom's. It's like, oh, okay, like Nordstrom's isn't going to be your best account because they're hard to work with, but it's uh, it's it's bait to get other stores. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So for us, it's like it does get us a lot of a lot of like awareness because they post about it, they talk about it. We're not making the best; it's not the best return in terms of like you know ad spend, but for us, we we know we're getting the marketing value and the and the brand presence value, which is very, very, very important these days. You know, people need to see your product in big settings in popular settings in trending places. So for us, we know that there's a lot of value in that. Um, and we know that we're going to hopefully make that up on the back end, um, by just, the by just talking about it, you know, and, and, and promoting it and posting about it on social media. Mm-hmm. And speaking of, uh, making up on the back end, how do you usually measure the success of a brand collaboration? You know, it's, that's, that's a tough one. You know, it's not, it's not apples to apples. That's for sure. It's, it's, uh, it's, um, you know, we, we know that we're going to set aside a certain budget. We know that, um, what that budget's going to translate into how many sunglasses we can create. And if we can do a rev share, um, if we can do a rev share, that's, that, that's where we can really, you know, look at the, the metrics and the performance of it is because it purely is performance based. So for example, for like the groove cruise, which is the festival on the cruise ship, we go out and say, okay, we're going to have, we're going to make 2000 pairs of 2000 pairs of shades and we're going to team up on the marketing. You're going to post about it. We're going to post about it. We're going to cover all the costs. We're going to cover all the manufacturing costs for you. And we're going to basically take all that on financially as well, but we're going to lean on you for the marketing. We want your email list. We want you to talk about it on Instagram. We want to do giveaways on, on, on your Instagram and, and stuff like that. And then whatever we sell, we share. Um, and it's a split. So depending on the split really depends on the people that the people or the, you know, or the companies that we're working with. And that really makes it a mutual bind. You know, that makes them invested in it. That makes them want to talk about it. Um, so for us, those are always the most fun because after we manufacture the products, then it's like, okay, let's team up on the marketing. Like let's sell these things as quickly as we can. Like, how can we do that? You know? And that's always like the next piece to the puzzle or the next game to figure out um, as we get a lot of a lot of value from that, too. Yeah, I like how you make sure that the other partner has skin in the game and it's not just all you doing all the work, uh, not just so much because there is that shared risk, but because they are now invested in the success of that particular campaign, that program, whatever you are running together. Um, were you able to make these kind of demands uh, to, you know, get their get them to send an email out to their list, get them to post on their social media? Were you able to make those kind of demands early on or was it something that only yes. came? Okay. Yes, we definitely were, you know, and that's something that, you know, we kind of have to be, it kind of is, it varies from company or brand to brand, you know? So, um, sometimes people will be like, oh no, like we won't post on Instagram cause we have too many followers or, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, um, if we can sort of find a mutual meet, you know, like a mutual meeting ground on, on that, then, then it works. And we basically say, you know what, we're taking up, we're taking all the risk. We're putting out all the money we're manufacturing. We're doing all the production for you. Um, we're going to come up with all the creative assets, all the photography, everything for it. All we need you guys to do is just, is just post about it, you know, and talk about it, you know, and, and they're, and they're, and they're invested in that, you know, and they, and, and they see that as a lot of value. So for us, we get to kind of team up, we get to work together, 
both companies get to know each other better and we get to really, you know, take things to the next level and, and really build it around the social interaction on social media too, which is, which is always really fun. You know, people love new products. They love giveaways and, um, you know, they love seeing new updates and stuff like that. So that's, that's a, a blast, but um, it's definitely a lot of work too, for sure. Yeah. And to make sure that all this goes smoothly, do, are there legal or paperwork that, that needs to, to happen for all of these collaborations? Some, some of them there are. Some of them are just like a good faith where we've been working with them long enough to where we know we're both going to carry our weight. But on the newer ones, definitely, you know, we've had our fair share of, of, of you know, ones that went south. Um, and, uh, you know, we definitely got to be cautious of that as we get bigger and as we grow and, um, you know, people that we work with. So you got to be careful for sure. There's definitely some guidelines and, and some red tape you got to, you got to watch out for. Mm-hmm. Looking back on, on these, uh, unsuccessful or these kind of failed collaborations, were there any red flags that you see nowadays that you look out for when you are, uh, reaching out or when brands reach out to you? Yeah. I mean, when we get a, you know, a 10 or 12 page contract back, we're like, okay, let's send this over to our attorney, you know, let us know if there's any issues. Like we're not, we're not legal masters by any means. Um, so we kind of take his, take his advice and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, you know, we just kind of try to, you know, be as objective as possible. You know, we were so accustomed to being a yes man and and saying yes to everything Mm -hmm. that came our way. We loved it. Anything, anytime someone brought a new idea to us, we're like, okay, yeah, let's, let's definitely do that now. Like, sounds awesome. And then, we go down this path completely off course of what we're normally doing. And, you know, we find out it'd just be a dead end and we just wasted our time. So for now we, we look at things very objectively and try to see it all the way through to make sure that we're not wasting our time. And this is something that could provide value and, uh, you know, potentially a good idea for us. And I think this is another stage, another area that can trip a lot of entrepreneurs up, which is saying yes to everything. Do you find that you would have had to say yes more often early on? Or do you think that you would have been even more successful if you were more selective with what you said yes to early on? You know, I, I ask myself that every single day because my mom always raised me to be like an opportunity guy, you know, yeah. um, just to keep your options open, you know, growing up and, and throughout my life. So for me, I've always loved to keep opportunity open, but I know it's kind of been a gift and a curse at the same time, um, just because I still find myself saying yes to things that are off course, but I don't want to close the door. You know what yeah, I mean? I want to yeah. keep it open. So I'll say yes, but maybe not right now. Um, but just being more affirmative on yes and no is like, my God, you really learn the value of time and, and, and you know, you could just be spinning your wheels for so long by just saying yes to everything um, without really having a clear path or, you know, like a main goal to be that you're going after. So so yeah, it goes both ways for sure. So you would say that you would be more critical early on. You think that would be more helpful? I think I think probably you know to kind of keep things focused a little bit more. And I think mm-hmm. those options and opportunities that did come our way at the beginning stages wouldn't have gone away. You know what I mean? It wasn't like oh you got to do this now or never. Um, so I think early on, if we were a little bit more focused and we kind of were more were more affirmative on you know yes this sounds good, but we don't have the time. We need to wait until six months or next year. Um, something like that, I think would have definitely helped us. But, uh, I also think being a yes man got us to, got us so many opportunities and so many different options as well. So it really, it kept our horizon, you know, very, very large. Mm, Okay. Makes sense. So now for these, uh, handshake or even written deals, uh, what terms in a brand collaboration deal do you, do you need to pay attention to, or do you need to really, uh, focus on to make sure that it is successful for us? The the number one red flag is when we get, okay, you need to spend $10,000 or $15,000, or you need to have some sort of monetary, you know, monetary sponsorship with this. And for us, it's like, no, we don't want any part of that. I mean, unless you're Coachella, unless you're, you know, the biggest of the big, we don't want to don't, we don't want to fork over a check and you know what I mean? So for us, like mm-hmm. the value isn't creating more product. We would rather put that money into more product that we can get out on the market that people can touch that they can wear. And, you know, for us, like that's, that's the number one thing. If we talk to a new company or a new brand or a new event and they're, and they're like, Hey, this all sounds great, but you know, you're going to need to spend 15,000 up front. We're like, Nope, sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, if we can put that fifteen thousand dollars into more product, then that's worth a discussion. You know what I mean? So, for us, it's uh, we definitely like to use the product as another form of currency in certain situations like that. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Cool. So, can you tell us a little bit more about how successful the business is today? Like, how much has it grown to? Yeah. So we're doing about we'll do about two million this year, which is super cool. So we've we've you know been hustling every year, every day. Um, 
And, you know, we built this thing from a shoestring, you know, from a $2,000 investment to, uh, to hopefully $2 million if, if, if all goes well for the holidays. Yeah, speaking of the holidays, uh, you know, Black Friday and Cyber Monday uh, is coming up. You know, the week that we're recording this, this is the beginning of that that big week. And you're just telling me before you got on on air that it's been hectic for you. So tell us a little bit more about the preparation that goes into a big kind of sales season like this. For sure. So Black Friday and Cyber Monday is always just like it's the last hoorah of the year, you know, and it's it's the time to kind of like wrap everything up and and uh, you know to see how the whole year's been. Um, so there's a lot on the line for sure. And I think for us, like being sunglasses, and even though we are in San Diego, when it's 70 degrees all year round, like we're heavily seasonal, you know, and after September and August, you know, things kind of slow down a bit. So um, we use Black Friday as our way to kind of push us through the off season and carry us into spring. So there's a lot on the line. There's a lot of preparation, um, you know, on all the back end and all the internal assets and different things we need to get ready. So um, it's always, uh, it's always stressful, but it's always kind of fun to kind of, you know, work through it all and, and to kind of see how big we can make it. Very cool. So in order to manage this, uh, big holiday rush and also just in general running the company, are there any apps or services that you rely on, uh, to, to help run the business? Yeah. So we use Basecamp for like our project management system, which is awesome. It keeps everybody kind of in the loop and you can assign certain projects to certain people and really keep a, a good grasp on everybody's tasks. And, you know, we have friend buy as like our referral program. So we make sure that's ready to go for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So we can hit everybody with that. Zendesk for customer service, you know, 460, which is awesome for like a shop, shoppable Instagram feed. Shout out to Michael over there. He's been awesome for helping us out. Um, they've, they've really kind of allowed us to kind of show our Instagram and make that into a shopping experience, which is really cool. Um, Hypervisual, which is a, a landing page app. Um, Toby does a phenomenal job. His app's actually still in beta, but we've actually been working with him to build that app because we are showing our products in, in new ways now. You know, we're starting to kind of take a landing page approach where we're talking about it more in depth and we're, you know, you know, telling more of a story. So um, that's been that's been awesome. And shipping easy for, you know, all the fulfillment and operation side, you know, the Google Analytics for just the, you know, you know, the data and all the tracking and like the website and stuff like that. Um, Clavio for all of our emails. And yeah, I mean, it goes on and on. We have uh, all the apps and all the tools and we're always looking for, for new ones as well. Very cool. So what do you want to see the, the brand, the company uh, be in a year from now? In a year from now, you know, we have a lot kind of planned out for the next, you know, 12 months. Um, we're coming out with snowboard goggles, which is really cool and we're super excited for, um, which is going to hopefully open up a new market for us. And uh, we have new new frames with new styles to kind of, you know, um, keep things fresh consistently. We found out that last year was we had a really good recipe last year for just bringing new products. So if we continue to do that more frequently, um, we're, we're confident that that should work. And uh, we're launching prescription as well. Our customers always ask about RX. So we're looking to kind of bring in a, a you know, strong prescription, um, you know, lens and offer it throughout all of our frames and come in a little bit under Warby Parker, hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, really just kind of continue to grow. We think we can we can double in size next year. You know, if we do all the little things right, if we if we right the wrongs from last year um, and kind of integrate and implement some of those new systems and some of those new product drops and um, continue to just, you know, do everything we're doing now, but just, just do it 10x. So we're confident that we can be in a good place. Awesome. Sounds like an exciting year. So thanks so much again for your time, Chase. BlendersEyewear.com is the website. Anywhere else you recommend the listeners go and check out if they want to follow along with what you guys are doing? Yeah, just make sure to check us out on Instagram. Um, it'll be your daily dose of, of you know, cool, cool, vibrant style photos and uh, Facebook. Um, you know, and if you're ever in San Diego, come on by our office. We're in Pacific Beach. Our, our door is always open. Um, and uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to meet you guys. So thanks so much, Felix. It's been awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Cool. Thanks, Chase. Thanks, bud. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.